0: This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. Our text today is going to come from the 7th chapter of Luke. If you'll open Bibles that are near you, you can follow along. And I would simply urge you to keep Bibles open Today, because we'll be looking at several other places as well. The sermon title in your bulletin is Thy Kingdom Come While I Am Still in Prison. And the subtitle for that is Living in Two Places at Once. Living in Two Places at Once. Here the text, which is all about John the Baptist. Chapter 7, verse 18, and I'll be reading to verse 23. 3, not 28. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. So John summoned two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come or for another? When the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask Are you the one who is to come? Or are we to wait for another? Now, Jesus had just then cured many people of diseases, plagues, and evil spirits, and had given sight to many who were blind. And he answered them, Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind received their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised. The poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Who takes no offense at me. Let's pray. Lord, allow your word to saturate our hearts in such a way that we can understand what this Christian life and what this life in the kingdom is about. For we need your touch deeply. For it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Thy kingdom come. What are we to expect when we pray a prayer like thy kingdom? Kingdom come. It's about the reality, you understand, of living in two worlds at the same time. We live in the kingdom of God and we live in the kingdom of this world, two different worlds. For the Christian, the kingdom of God begins now. The kingdom has come near, and yet we live in a world where we're subject to the forces of gravity and worldliness and aging and sickness and bad knees. So how do we look at thy kingdom come? How do you live in two worlds at once? I I teach in the little town of Hamilton, and in Hamilton, or sort of in Hamilton, is this little gas station that actually is not just in Hamilton. It straddles the line of Hamilton and Winham. So actually, if you're at one of the pumps, you can fill up your car and put one foot in Hamilton and one foot in Winham. You've got your feet in two different worlds. Sammy's going to illustrate this now. He's going to stand up, he's in a pew box, but he's going to step over into another pew box. He is living in two boxes at the same time. Thank you, Sammy. Well, as Christians, we're doing that. And it's kind of hard to get it in your mind. How do we live in two worlds at the same time? I mean, Rick and Connie, there they are. Would you wave to everybody, Rick and Connie? They live in Newburyport sometimes. And they live in Texas sometimes. For instance, they have chosen that it might be wiser to live in Texas in the winter, and it might be more wonderful to live in Newburyport in the summer. I told Connie recently, it's going to be a very mild winter, it'll be just like Texas, just stay and look at her, she's saying no. But see, they live in two worlds at once, but they and the Laramies live in Florida and up here, but they're not doing it simultaneously, they're doing it alternatively. For a little while, they'll live in Texas, and then they'll move up here, and then they'll live in Newburyport, or Florida, and then Newburyport. But the Christian life is designed to be living in two worlds at the same time. What? How do we live in two worlds at the same time? Well, if we don't understand it, you see, that's what then throws us off kilter. Because when we go through issues of suffering, we have this sense of, wait a minute, that's not the world I'm supposed to be living in. But at the top of your bulletin, Paul gives you this amazing little verse. I want you to learn it. It's Acts 14, right at the top of your bulletin. It is through many persecutions that we enter the kingdom of God. Now, the real word there, it's often translated hardships, the real word there means tight places. Tight places. It's through many tight places that we enter the kingdom of God. That means that there's going to be some complications with life in this world. That's what's going on in the passage I read to you. John. John is asking a question, are you the one who is to come or should we be looking for another one? Because John the Baptist is confused. Now, why is he confused? Well, he is in prison. You find that out back in chapter 3. He's been put in prison because he told Herod, the Jewish ruler of that day, that he was not living the right way, which is a good thing for a prophet to do. But Herod didn't like it and threw him in jail. We're going to find out later in jail. We're going to find out later that Herod kind of loses his mind over this and takes John the Baptist's head off eventually. But he's confused because of where he is sitting. So he says, are you the one who was to come or should we look for another? Now John had lots of evidence that Jesus was the one. If you go back to the first chapter of Luke, you're going to find an amazing story about John the Baptist's mother, who was named Elizabeth, who is visited by an angel describing the role John the Baptist is going to play. Her cousin Mary was the mother of Jesus. And at one point, they compare their interesting stories, and if you have these interesting stories and give birth to these amazing babies, you would certainly tell the children at some point about the story. So John the Baptist had a long history of expecting the Lamb of God to come in this one he was to introduce. If you go to John's Gospel, back in the early chapters of it, you see John announcing all kinds of interesting things about Jesus. He looks at Jesus with his disciples gathered around in chapter 1 of John and says, there goes the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sins of the world. John is convinced. He's clear. When John experiences baptizing Jesus in the Jordan, according to John's gospel, he also hears the word. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Whoa! I don't hear voices like that. But if I had heard a voice like that, I would say, this is the one. By chapter 3 of John's gospel the people who followed John followed John, are getting jealous of what's going on with Jesus. They're saying, more people are going to him than to you. And John the Baptist has this great line where he says, I'm supposed to decrease, and Jesus is supposed to increase. He understood that he's simply... The one who is the best man at the wedding and that Jesus is really the bridegroom. So he understands so much about what's supposed to go on with Jesus. So why is he asking this question in Luke 7? Are you the one who is to come or should we be looking for plan B? Well, he's asking that precisely because he's in prison. And when he was in prison, he was in prison, it wasn't working out the way he thought it was going to work out. And if you're a pastor for a long time, you begin to realize that anybody in the church who goes through any kind of prison-like experiences where they're in a tight place, where they are constricted, where they can't move freely as they would, and they're a Christian, they begin to wonder, wait a minute. This is not working. This is not what I thought the Christian life was going to be. You heard that in what Sarah read from Psalm 42, how this person used to lead people in procession to the house of God, and suddenly something's wrong in their life. And that whole psalm is trying to process, how do I deal with my life when it's deal with my life when it's not working? I don't understand it. See, John had a certain expectation about what Jesus was going to do. He was the lamb of God, and he was going to be the lamb of God. But he also thought Jesus was going to come with a winnowing fork and kick the Romans out and straighten up the Jews and move the Pharisees here and the Sadducees there. And he's been doing a lot of miracles. That's really nice. But he's been doing them in far corners of Galilee. That's not where you do all this stuff. You should be in Jerusalem. This is like bringing something great to New England and only showing it in northern Maine. We didn't hear about it in northern Maine. Why aren't you doing what I thought you were supposed to do? So Dale Brunner, a writer, commentator, says, Jesus is out in the sticks, healing sick and ignorant, but not doing much to change the basic structural problems of Israel's life. The Pharisees still control popular religious life. The Sadducees still control the temple. John is in prison. Herod, the embodiment of the oppressive establishment, is still on the throne And is, in fact, about to have John's head. What kind of Messiah is this? He's confused. It's not working out the way he thought it was going to work out. When I met Jesus Christ at age 16... I had grown up as a church kid but suddenly I met a living relationship with the living Jesus Christ and the lights went on and it was like my life changed and I had a lot of expectations because there was a little t-shirt that we all wore back in the 70's when we were kind of at the early stages of one of the Jesus movements and one of them said things go better with Christ and it imitated the coke commercial things go better with coke so it was a red shirt with white words on it it was one of the first Christian t-shirts And you just assume, well, now I've met Christ. Everything's going to go better. I thought my athletic career was going to take off. I was going to have girlfriends galore. Acne was going to leave. I just thought, this is going to work out great. And none of those came about. And you begin to wonder. C.S. Lewis, one of the most profound Christians of the 20th century, wrote Mere Christianity and Miracles, and, of course, he wrote the Chronicles of Narnia, the Space Trilogy, so many things, but probably even more amazing after his death and during his lifetime as his books have just spread to millions of people. But you may know in his personal life, he was a confirmed bachelor for a long time, and then he met this woman, Joy Davidman, who was in England but had cancer and needed treatment And he was not in the mood for falling in love, and he hadn't really fallen in love, but he agreed to marry Joy so that she could get medical treatment that she needed. And it was a nice gesture for a kind of platonic relationship. And then an accident occurred, and they fell in love after they were married. He didn't intend that, but it happened. But remember, Joy needed medical treatment because she was battling already cancer. And eventually she dies of that cancer. And if you've seen the wonderful movie with Anthony Hopkins called Shadowlands, you see this dynamic relationship between Joy and C.S. Lewis. And you see his stunning grief. You see his stunning grief at her death. And out of that, C.S. Lewis wrote the book, A Grief Observed. And in the book, he writes a very interesting line about his struggle with his worlds. He says this I thought I trusted the rope until it matters to me whether it would bear me. Now it matters and I find it didn't. He actually wrote this book under a pseudonym, a false name, and published it under another person's name because he didn't want all the people that had read all of his other books to suddenly be overwhelmed with doubt because he was expressing prison, tight places. They always bring doubts to us. This text reminds us that doubts are normal. That things don't always go the way we expected. That sin still runs around in this world. That we have not eliminated all disease. That wars still happen. That prejudice still divides enormous numbers of people. That people disappoint us. So John's got a question. Are you the right one? Or is there going to be a better version of you coming? Because you're not doing everything I thought you would do. You see, John doesn't know yet how to live in two places at once. If we pray thy kingdom come, then by golly it better come. It better come in my life and get everything wrong, fixed. And it better get everything in your life fixed. And then we look around and go, well, it didn't. What do we make of that? Can we live both in the kingdom of God and expect that to grow and also realize I've still got bad knees and a little crankiness at times and I don't know how everything's going to be? Can you live into Worlds. now jesus has a very curious answer he didn't say oh let me explain it all to you this is how the kingdom of god works instead he says go tell john what you've just seen and what you've heard jesus is healing jesus is touching one by one here and there He's to show what the values of the kingdom look like. He's building it out in a group of disciples who don't quite get it all. Yeah, he's not doing the winnowing fork yet. That's going to come later. But he's building things exactly like he was planning. And he's teaching his disciples to have the balance of living in two worlds at one time. Have you learned that balance? Have you learned to live fully in the kingdom of God and also in this present world with all of its struggles? I want it to go better. You want it to go better. I'd like my life to go better. You'd like your life to go better. But we suddenly learn this balance. Did you see Sammy balancing on two pews at once? I started to have everybody do that. And, and I, started to, I started to have everybody do that. And and I started to do it with the pew in front of you and the pew behind you because it's a little more perilous than just the one next to you. But then I thought, I don't know if our liability insurance covers what might happen, so I decided not to illustrate it for all of you. But you see, this is part of the Christian life. And to keep remembering, what's Jesus done? What is he doing now? I had the opportunity to watch this up close and personal in my own mother's life who loved Jesus dynamically. And yet she carried with her, all of my lifetime, a terrible case of rheumatoid arthritis, which affected every joint in her body. So she had 27 major operations under full anesthesia over the course of her life to fix hips, and knees, and elbows, and shoulders, and fingers, and wrists. And most of them didn't really work, and she spent the last years of her life in a even without a hip, and yet, She was so alive in the kingdom of God that it just drove everything else she did. She might go nowhere during a week, but she would never miss gathering with God's people on Sunday and teaching God's word every Sunday. She lived in both worlds. And she understood that it's going to be through tight places that we enter the kingdom of God. And she had tighter places than I had But she did not doubt. She had learned that's the plan. That's what happens when you are following Jesus. That's why Jesus could be dying on a cross in incredible suffering and still say to those at the base of the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He was living in both worlds worlds at the same time. I don't know. About your life. But I know that if you're a Christian. You've stepped into the kingdom of this world. And you've stepped into the kingdom of God. You're living in both. And I know from what Paul wrote. When he said I have learned to be content in all places. Whether I abound or whether I am a base. He learned the secret of being content in both worlds. As you study the kingdom of God over this fall, part of what you recognize, it's already come. It's here. And there are times when we just live deeply into it. You've already sung this today. And though the world with devils fill to undo us, we will not fear. For God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. That's in A Mighty Fortress. You just sang it. Then you sang, When darkness veils his lovely face, I'm going to rest on his unchanging grace. That's in the hymn, My Hope is Built on Nothing Less. They are showing you this dynamic of both worlds. So before you leave today, maybe do... What was just done by balancing on two pews at once as your concrete image, that's the Christian life. Both worlds. The kingdom has come, Jesus is present, and there's still suffering and death and disease and disappointment. And how we learn to live in both is the Christian life. Let's pray. Gracious God, our heart just God. Our hearts don't always understand, but you understand. And you are guiding us to recognize that this is the world you've called us to live in, two worlds. And we're going to trust you with it when darkness veils your lovely face. We have the choice to still rest and know your presence is near. So seal your... Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.